So I, I see Terry, you were did you pick that song today, didn't you? Who who pick, I want to know who picked that one. Who was it? I want to know who picked that song. Well, okay. Well, here's what's funny. You know, every now and then you guys will hear me talk about how uh, God will give you fingerprints in your life, right? Ways in which God will speak to you in ways that you can't miss as being him. Well, I will tell you that Terry and I did not get together on anything about this Sunday's worship. But I'm about to hand out to you, if I could get a couple of volunteers, I'd love a couple of volunteers, 100 promises from God's word. And we're going to be talking about that this morning. We didn't plan that one out, did we? It's amazing. I tell you what, I love coincidences. Well, good morning, everybody. I hope you're well. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to take out your Bibles. We're going to be in John chapter 14 this morning. John chapter 14. I want to tell you a, a, a little story before we get into what we're going to be talking about today. You know, I've had a lot of mentors in my life, people that have come into my life over the years that have poured into me. And uh, if you think about it, I mean, that's just the heart of what discipleship is all about. God strategically places people in your life that help you along in your journey. And sometimes the, the mentors that I've had in my life have been uh, men who have physically sat down with me. Sometimes I've had other people that I would consider my mentors who I never even met, people that I just read their works, read their books, and they've had a huge impact on my life. One such man I want to share with you this morning is uh, this fellow right here. His name is Armin R. Guesswine. And uh, I tell you what, out of, all the, out of all the authors that I've read over the years, this man right here has probably had the most influence on my prayer life. Um, a little bit about him. Armin was born just after the turn of the century. He was a pastor and he was a, a prayer leader. And one of the things that he is known for in history is his emphasis on prayer. And uh, in fact, he, he placed such an emphasis on prayer that eventually he earned a nickname. People called him the Apostle of Prayer and Revival. It seemed as though everywhere this man went, when he prayed, things happened. He was somebody who was instrumental in helping uh, various revivals. He was uh, integral in the, the famous revival that took place in Norway at the turn of the century. A lot of people don't realize this, but you know, uh, many months ago I told you about Cane Ridge and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that came at the beginning of the Churches of Christ. Well, there was another similar thing that happened in Norway. This man was a part of that. But Armin's journey with prayer didn't start that way. Um, he learned it through a mentor that God had placed in his life. He started out as a Lutheran pastor. He was 22 years old. And like a, like a lot of young pastors, a lot of young ministers, he was struggling in, in his ministry. He was trying to, to really get the church up and going, trying to, to help people understand um, you know, how to have revival. And, and he just couldn't seem to get it. He couldn't seem to put two and two together to, 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 really, to really make an impact. And so he took a season one time and he, he sat down and he said, okay, I just want to go back to the Bible and I want to see how they did it. And I love that. Whenever you have that kind of attitude and you just want to see how they did it, that's a great place to begin. And as he was reading through the book of Acts, he, he came across what he later on termed, he called it... Um, uh, I got completely lost in my space here. Well, I apologize. Anyway, I'm, I don't know where, where it went in my notes, but um, he called it a, a, a prayer meeting. And basically he was looking at what happened in Acts chapter 2. And he says, you know what? 
the big events that happen in the church happen when men and women of God were united together in prayer and they were united together in worship. And so he started doing prayer meetings and that was his emphasis. And so he went back to the Bible. He saw how this happened. He started doing these prayer meetings and um, it was in that church fellowship that there was an old retired blacksmith. He was about 50 years older than him. And um, again, he was 24. This man was about 73. And when they had that prayer meeting, he noticed that again, when he prayed, he didn't see a lot of things happen. But there was something different about this man, this old blacksmith. And this fellow came up and he noticed that when this man prayed, things happened. And, and so he was curious. He, he said that there was something different about him. And our mind said he, he never heard anybody pray like that. It wasn't about fervency, he said. He said, when it came to fervency, I, I mean, I, I was fervent in my prayers. I prayed hard, but, but I didn't see the same kind of effects that this man. They called him Uncle Am. And he said that when Uncle Am prayed, it was almost like the Holy Spirit was right there, eager to answer the prayer even before Uncle Am even got it out of his mouth. So he said, man, I want whatever he has is what I want. And so one night after the prayer meeting, he walked up to old uh, Uncle Lamb and he said, um, he said, can I join you in prayer? Can I just join you in prayer? And Uncle Lamb said, sure, come on. And so they, they walked out of the, the church house. They crossed the driveway. They went up to an old barn. And they climbed up a ladder and they went into a hayloft. And he noticed that when he got up to the, to the hayloft that he had two big bales of hay, one here and one here, and he had two open Bibles. He had one Bible over here and one Bible over here. And he noticed that when he looked down on those Bibles that almost every verse was underlined. And I want to read you a little clip. This is from Armin's, um, his biography, his autobiography. And uh, I want to read this to you. This is what he said. He said, there... In some old hay lay two big Bibles open. What is this? I thought. I first prayed as I recalled it. I poured out my heart, my needs and burdens and wishes and aspirations and ambitions to God. And then he prayed. And there was that difference again. There in that hay on our knees at eye level, I said, Uncle Am, what is it? You have some kind of secret in praying. Would you mind sharing it with me? And then with an eagle look in his eyes, he looked at me and he said, Young man, learn to plead the promises of God. And the old man had knelt between two bales of hay and that was his practice. He would go up and that was his prayer closet. And he would stand there and he would hold one hand on one and one hand on the other. And he would just pray out loud and he would just remind God of all the things that he had promised him in his prayer. Now... Armand continued and he said this. He said, that word completely changed my understanding of prayer. He said, it really revolutionized. He said, I saw it. As soon as he said it, saw what? Well, when I prayed, there was fervency. There was ambition. The Lord does not put a perfect squelch on these either. But I lacked faith. Prayer is the key to heaven, but faith unlocks the door. You always wonder where that phrase came from. It came from him. There must be faith. Where does that come from? From hearing the word of God. Uncle Am would plead the scriptures, scripture after scripture, reminding him of promise after promise, pleading these like a lawyer does his case. 
The man knew the promises. I love the way he said it. He knew the promises by the bushel. See, Armin, Armin, I can't, I call him Armin, but Armin learned this lesson well. He said, I learned more about prayer and that hamo, says Armin, than all the years of schooling and ministry. And from that day forward, all the way up until the age he was 93, he started praying the promises of God. And guess what? People came to him for the same thing. Armin, what in the world is it? How is it that when you pray, we see things happen? And Armin loved telling the story of his testimony of how an old blacksmith named Uncle Am taught him how to pray. Now, the reason why I bring all that up this morning is because you and I have been doing a series that I'm calling Catching Fire. It's a series that we've been looking at the Holy Spirit. And over the last couple of Sundays, we've been looking at this passage of Scripture in John chapters 13 through 17, where Jesus himself is giving his disciples both then and now, right? He's giving his disciples several new things, new promises, Things that you can expect as being a part of your Christian life because you have the miracle of the indwelling presence of God living on the inside of you. And so far we've seen several new things that come as a result of living in this new covenant, having the Holy Spirit. We saw Jesus give a new commandment. He said, I want you to go and love others. How? The way that I have loved you. Number two, he says, uh, you're going to have this new incredible relationship with God. Why? Because of the forgiveness of sins. God, because of the forgiveness of sins, gives you space of grace in your life so that his presence can then come inside of you and make his home in you so he can transform your life to help you look just like Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, we said, there's a new day. And of course, that new day was the day of Pentecost, which was going to come just 50 days from that point. Now, this morning, I want us to look at another new thing that comes as a part of this relationship that you and I have with God. Another new thing that happens as a result of having the Holy Spirit come and live inside of us. And that is this, number four this morning, He gives us a new prayer life. He gives us a new kind of dynamic, powerful prayer life. And I want you to take your Bibles, look at John chapter 14 with me, verses 12 through 16. I'm going to put it up here on the screen. Here we go. John 14, 12 through 16. Read it with me in your heart, please. Very truly I say unto you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name. And my promise is what? I will do it. He says in verse 15, keep reading. If you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate. See, he was the advocate, but he's going to give you another one. So this other advocate is going to be just like Jesus. He's going to come and he says he's going to help you and be with you forever. Now I want to point out a couple of things in this text before we go any further, because I want to make sure that we have them highlighted in our minds. Number one. A couple of weeks ago, we asked the question, because this is a question that's been debated many times in our congregations, at least, as to whether or not these verses apply to you and I. It's been said many times that the, the promises in John 13 through 17 are just too powerful, too wonderful to be for everybody. But I hope that you've seen so far over the last couple of Sundays, that's not the case. 
Jesus called not only his disciples, but the ones that were going to become disciples because of those disciples. And then even here, when you look at this passage, Jesus says, whoever believes in me. Now, who does that include? Whoever, (laughs) right? Whoever. He's not saying just you guys. Make sure we make that clear. He says, whoever believes in me is going to have this new, dynamic, incredible, powerful, intimate prayer life so that whatever you ask, it's going to be granted. Now, look at what Jesus promises here. He says, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Now, We've already seen where Jesus has said in the past in just the same context as several verses other about two sermons ago, we already saw that he said that when he ascends into heaven, he's going to prepare a place for us. And his intention is not to leave us as orphans. His intention is to place his spirit inside of us so that he can then come back and live on the inside of us. That's how he's not going to leave us as orphans because he's going to have his real presence living on the inside of us. And Jesus says... One of the results of having this indwelling presence will be that my person in you will continue to do the works that I've been doing. And he says they will do even greater works than these. Now, what does Jesus mean by this? A simple reading of the text. I'm not going to qualify it yet. We're going to say a few more things in just a moment. But just from a simple reading of the text... Jesus is saying that his disciples are going to carry out the same kind of ministry that he started 2,000 years ago, and they will carry out the same mission that he started 2,000 years ago. They're going to go out. They're going to say the same kinds of things that Jesus said. They're going to serve the same kind of way that Jesus served. And watch this. They're also going to practice the same kinds of miracles that Jesus practiced. I realize that's a big statement. It's a big statement. Now, this shouldn't come as too much of a surprise because if you remember back in Matthew chapter 10, a long time ago, we talked about discipleship. How does Jesus disciple others? Well, number one, he walks with them. He shows them how to live this life. But when you get to Matthew chapter 10, he equips them and he sends them out to go proclaim the kingdom of God. And here's what it says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. He tells them that when they go out, He says, they're going to be proclaiming the good news. So he tells them, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out the demons. That's Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. And Jesus says, whatever you ask for in prayer, what does he say he'll do? I will do it. Now, is that a promise? That's a promise, isn't it? He says, I will do it. And that included being able to do the same kinds of works that he did when he lived on this earth. Keep reading with me. John 14, 13 through 14. Jesus says, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may, meet, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Do you see a theme that Jesus is saying here? Over and over again, he keeps saying the same thing. And here's what's incredible. Apparently that truth, Jesus wanted to reiterate 
over and over again. I was talking to Tiffany about writing this sermon, and, uh, and I, she said, do you think you should, should quote all four verses? And I said, yes, absolutely, because Jesus quoted it for them. In other words, he had to say it four times to them because apparently it sounded too good to be true. Well, guess what? We need to hear it four times as well because not only does he say it here in John 14, 13 through 14, he also says it in John chapter 15, verses 7 and 16. Listen to this. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And then he skipped down to verse 16. Whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give it to you. Look at this. Here's the third time. John 16, 23 through 24. In that day, remember we already talked about the day, right? In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be made complete. I've got one more for you. Listen to this. John 16, 26 through 27. In that day, one more time. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Okay, so let's point out the big old elephant in the room. I don't know about you, but I have struggled with those verses in my Christian walk. Because there have been so many times I have prayed for things. And I didn't see the answers to those prayers. Have you ever struggled with that? And then I come across these words and over and over and over again, Jesus just says, whatever you say, whatever you ask for, whatever you ask for, I'll do it. And so at least for me in my journey, when I've come across this, I've kind of struggled with this text a little bit. You know, I, I kind of sometimes have felt like Armin. Guess why? You know, I pray and I pray. I got fervency. I'm telling you, Lord, all these things. And, and I just kind of see a little bit happening. And yet I'll be around some other people. And it's almost like they've got some kind of special anointing from God or something. Because when they pray, it's like heavens and the earth to start to move and shake. And so I, I, I kind of have done the same thing. Lord, what is it? How do you pray? How do you pray? You know, it's kind of like the disciples over in Matthew chapter 6. That's exactly why they went to Jesus and asked him how to pray. They, it's not like they didn't know how to pray. These 12 guys went to synagogue every single Sabbath day. They prayed all the time. They've been praying ever since they were wee little boys. But there was something different about Jesus' praying. And so they said, we want to pray like you pray, because when you pray, we see things happen. Well, let's ask the question, how does prayer work? Before we get into prayer and how prayer works, and hopefully I want to share some things with you this morning, I pray that's going to change the way you pray. Because I want to see thunder and lightning in this congregation when it comes to prayer. Amen? I want to see heaven and earth shake and move because of the prayers of the saints that happen in this room. But there are some things that we have to know about prayer first. Before we talk about how heaven and earth can be moved with prayer, we have to first talk about hindrances to prayer. I want you to take out your pen or paper, pen and paper. I want you to write down hindrances to prayer. Did you know that there are things that can be in your life and things you can do in your life that can be roadblocks to God answering your prayers? I went back through the Bible this last week and I was trying to find a few of these and I, I didn't realize how many of them there are. And I'm going to go through these just kind of fast. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on them. But, but I want to say this. One of the biggest reasons why we struggle as Christians with prayer 
is because we have blockages in our spiritual life that are keeping those prayers from being answered and we don't even know it. Because we don't know the scriptures that talk about it. For example, here's one right here. Some hindrances of prayer. Unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin. This is probably number one in my book. All the years I've been doing ministry, this is the number one thing among Christians that keeps their prayers from being answered. Look at Psalm 66, verse 8. It says, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Now, what does it mean to regard wickedness? That means, let's just put it in colloquial modern-day terms. That means you've got a secret sin, a little pet sin that you're not willing to get rid of. And you know what God says? God says, I love you enough to not let you advance spiritually so that you can stay right where you are and feel the uncomfortableness of the situation so that you can deal with this issue in your life. Because whether you know it or not, what you need more than anything is not any answer prayer. What you need is a revelation of the love of Jesus Christ in your life so that you can let go of whatever's holding you back. Amen? So unconfessed sin. If I'm actively sinning, if I'm not repenting of my sin, just keeping it secret, holding it in, that pushes God away in your relationship. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to reject you. I'm not saying you're losing your salvation or anything like that. But I'm saying it is a hindrance to the relationship that you have with your father if you don't let that sin go. Number two, lack of faith. This is the one that Armin was talking about a moment ago. He would pray for things, not really knowing whether or not they were God's will, and then hope they would happen. How many of you have ever prayed like that? Oh, every one of you better raise your hand. You know you have. Every single one of you have prayed a prayer, and you're like, I hope that's God's will, right? Listen, Jesus told his disciples that without faith, it is absolutely impossible to please God. Having a lack of faith essentially sucks the power out of your prayers, right? Okay, listen to what James tells us in James chapter, uh, James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. James says that when you pray, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all their ways. You've got to have faith in God. Number three disobedience. How many times have you heard Jesus say in this context, in John 13 and 14, just in this little two chapters, if you love me, you will obey what? You will obey my commandments. You will keep my word. John, later on when he writes what we call the the letter of 1 John, he tells us that it's only when we are in a right relationship with God Only when we are living a right relationship with God, when we're living obediently to keeping His commands, that God grants our prayers. Look at what He says in 1 John 3, 21 through 23. He says, Dear friends, we have confidence before God, and we receive from Him anything we ask, because why? We keep His commands and do what pleases Him. And this is His command, to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He has commanded us. There are conditions to prayer. There's conditions to prayer. And one of the big conditions to prayer is that we have got to be living our lives in humble obedience, not only to God, but also loving each other. Which leads me then to the, the fourth one. And this is a ooh, this is a big one. This is a big one. 
People say, don't step on my toes and don't mess up my shoe shine. This messes up both. Matthew 6, 14 through 15, unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. John just said one of the ways that we can have confidence that God will answer our prayers is if we keep Jesus' commands. And one of the main commands that he gave us all the way throughout this context is to love one another. So what happens when we don't? What happens when we have anger and resentment? What happens when we bicker and complain? What happens when we talk about each other behind each other's backs? What happens when we form opinions of one another and we build up walls with one another? What happens when we harm and bite and devour one another and cause resentment and build up resentment in the church? The Bible makes it very clear. It will hinder our prayers. Look at what it says in Matthew 6, 14 through 15. He says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others of their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And that is, that is a big deal. We have to have a heart posture of forgiveness toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's another thing that can hinder your prayers. Wrong motives. James 4, 2-3 says, You don't have because you don't ask God. And when you do ask God, you don't receive because you ask for the wrong motives, right? It's not because you want to glorify God. It's because you want to glorify yourself. That's the heart of what your prayer is all about. Number six, here's another big one, idols. How many of you know that you can have an idol and it not be a a man-made statue in your house that you worship? An idol can be anything that you place before your relationship with God. In fact, it says it like this. In Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 3, he's talking about the Israelites who, who had real physical idols. But listen to what the real issue was. These men have set up idols where? In their hearts. And picked up stumbling blocks or put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. And look at what God says. Should I let them inquire of me at all? The answer is no. Because you need to deal with this stuff first before you can move forward in the will of God. Well, here's another one. Number seven, disregard for others. You know, we've already seen where where Jesus has said many times, keep my command of loving one another. And well, listen to this. If you have unresolved heart issues within the body, within the church, it will hinder our prayers. Let me give an example when it comes to marriage. Men, listen up. Men, listen up. First Peter chapter three, verse says, Uh, Verse 7 says this, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. That means weaker physically, ladies. As the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Look at that. So that nothing will what? Hinder your prayers. You know, every time I get into a tizzy with my wife, I think about that verse. You know why? Because I don't want my prayers uh, hindered. Do you? Right? Right? So God cares about the relationships that we have with one another. And if we don't put those relationships as priority in our lives, the Bible says over and over again, it will absolutely hinder our prayers. And then finally, number eight this morning, an unsurrendered will. Now, this one's going to bring us back to our context of John 13 through 17. God always answers prayer in accordance with his will. Now, that's important key. You ask anything in his name, but hopefully what that means is is that if you're following Jesus, you want to be about what his will is. Amen? 
Not only just in the things that you're doing, but also the things that you're believing, also in how you live your life. So you're trying to live your life in the will of God. So he says, if you ask anything according to my will, he says, that is what I will do. I will make sure that that happens in your life. In John chapter 15, which, was, which is the text we're going to be getting into next week, John describes the kind of person whose life, whose will is fully surrendered to God. He uses this imagery of the vine and the branches. And look at what he says, John chapter 15, verse 7. It's up here on the screen. He says, if you remain in me, and what does that mean to remain in him? That means to be surrendered. I am surrendered to God's will in my life. I am surrendered to Jesus and his leadership in my life. So he says, if you remain surrendered in me and my words, which is my will, remains in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. Two big preconditions to answered prayer. Number one, write it down. Be surrendered in the will of God, in your relationship with him and in your relationship with others. And then secondly, not only be surrendered, but have his words remain in you. See, when you pray, don't just pray willy-nilly. Don't just pick stuff out that you, you know what I'm saying? I'm not, listen, I'm not saying that you can't pray for your dear, dear Aunt Sally's toe that broke last week. God bless her, that toe hurts. <laughs> but, but whether or not that pain goes away instantly or not is not necessarily a matter of God's will. It might be God's will, it may not. And God invites you to bring any prayer that you want to. But Jesus says, if you ask anything that I've said to you to be the will, my will for your life, my will for your church, my will for your ministry, he absolutely promises you he will do it. That's different. That's praying a different way. Okay, so we've talked about some hindrances to prayer. And um, I would venture to guess that if you're, if you're struggling to see some answers to prayer in your life, this is where I would start right here. Okay, if you're struggling to see answered prayer in your life, look up here because 95% of the time there is a reason why prayers are being hindered in your life. And it's usually one of those eight things up there. Okay, so what do we do? Well, if we're not seeing the results that we would like to see in our in our prayer life, check and see if something needs to be changed in you, because I guarantee you the problem is not God. The problem is 100% typically with ourselves. So what do we do? Well, number one, if you've got hidden sin, confess it. Don't hold it anymore. Don't let it go. You say, well, I can't let it go. I'm just going to do it again. I don't care. Come forward anyway. You need the Holy Spirit to help you with that thing. Jesus says, if you confess your faults to one another, I will heal you. That is a promise in the Bible. So confess your sins. Number two, have faith. Number three, be obedient to Jesus' command. Number four, forgive. Man, it's time to let it go. Stop holding that resentment. Stop holding those grudges. Let it go, if not for anybody's sake, but for your own. Number five, check your motives. Make sure that when you pray, you're praying for the right, what, for the right motives. Number six, get rid of those idols in your heart. Number seven, be considerate. Husbands, treat your wives with respect. If you've done something to your wife and you're too proud and arrogant on the inside to say, I'm sorry, guess what? Today's the day you've got to change that. You need to go to your wife and you need to reconcile with your wife so that your prayers will no longer be hindered before the Father. And number eight, surrender your will to God, God's ultimate will. Then pray and watch what happens. Then pray and watch what happens. Now, we've been talking up until this point. We've been talking about things that hinder your prayers. Now, I want to flip that switch a little bit and I want to name a couple of things that will help your prayers. Because there are things that you can do that will also be helps 
to your prayer. Jesus says this, ask whatever you want and I will do it. There are things that we can keep in mind that will help our prayers be answered. The first thing he says what? Is to ask in his name. Stop right there for a moment. Now, I used to think when I was younger as a Christian that, you know, every prayer has to be ended with what? In Jesus' name, amen. And it was almost like a magical formula that had to be tacked on at the end of the prayer to make it legit, (laughs) right? And as long as you said in Jesus' name, that made it legit, right? It's a legit prayer. Have you ever stopped to think and ask the question, what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? Look at this verse. John chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that we, if, if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of Him. Hmm. So what is God's will? Number one, God's will is that, first of all, you have no hindrances in your life before you approach him. He absolutely wants you to deal with the stuff in your life that's keeping you from having an intimate relationship with him and would thus keep you from having a powerful and fruitful prayer life. That's God's will. We've already seen that so far. Number two, God's will is that you become obedient to him. Not only love him, not only love him, but learn to love others the way that you love yourself. God's will is for you to live in love and unity with other believers in the kingdom of God. Number three, God's will is recorded in all those promises that I handed out to you this morning. Here's what I want you to do this week. A little science experiment, if you will. Get rid of all those eight hindrances in your life and take that sheet of paper that I gave you. Every single one of those promises are yes and amen to you because you're, because you're a Christian. Start praying those prayers and God will absolutely keep his promises to you. I promise you, he will. So perhaps we, like Armin Gesswine, we need to learn not so much to pray, but how to pray. How did Jesus pray? How did Uncle Am pray all those years ago? Well, the answer is he learned how to pray the promises of God. We've got to get to the point where we have the words and the will of Jesus Christ. When we say in Jesus' name, that means that what I'm about to pray is completely in line with his will for my life, his will for this world, his will for the church, and his will for the kingdom that's coming. Amen? So pray along those lines and you will see powerful prayers happen in your life. I love what Armin used to say. He says, man, he says, uh, prayer is the main thing. He used to always say it's the main thing. It's the frontal assault. Prayer is the power to discover not only God's will, but it's also the empowerment for you to be able to carry out God's will. Armin in his life was convinced that one of the main reasons why both churches and individuals are so powerless and overwhelmed with spiritual impotence today is because they haven't overcame the many spiritual hindrances that keep them from, from moving in their life with God. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says this. I mentioned it a moment ago, but now I'm going to have it up on the screen for you. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. They are yes in Christ. And so through Him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. And that's the third help that you get for your prayer life. 
is that when you pray, you pray in accordance with the will of God, but it's prayed because you want to give glory to God for whatever it is that you're praying for. Can't be for you, it has to be for Him. Amen? Okay. Now, I realize that leaves a begging question. What about miracles? Why don't we see the level of miracles today that they saw in the first century? I have heard many people in our churches and many other churches say that the lack of miracles that you see today is the evidence that they must have ceased in the first century. Now, I've run out of time this morning, so I could just say I'm saved by the bell and we won't get into it. But I'll just say this as we close. Just as there are criteria for your prayer life, for your prayers to be answered by heaven, there is also criteria that Jesus puts in place for miracles to take place. Jesus promises us that miracles will happen as we live in love and unity. Jesus promises that miracles will happen as we serve God and go out and evangelize and tell other people about Jesus Christ. We don't need to have any hindrances, both in our lives, in our relationship with God, and in prayer. We need to be in right relationship with God before we can start talking about miracles. Would you agree with me on that? We need to be in right relationship with God before we can even start talking about revival and miracles. Number two, Jesus promises us that miracles will happen as we live in love and unity with other believers. How are we doing in that department? I'm not talking about churches of Christ. I'm talking about the body of Christ. Wouldn't it make more sense for us to be living in love and unity prior to those miracles coming for us? Number three, it's in that context, as we join in Jesus' mission, as we go and tell other people the good news about Jesus Christ, where Jesus says these words right here in Mark chapter 16, these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, there it is, they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Why don't we see miracles today at the level that they did in the first century? Well, many Christians today are not living in right relationship with God. There's all kinds of hindrances in their life, in their spiritual life. In the first century, how many churches were there? Somebody shout it out. How many were in the first century? In Acts chapter 2, there was one church. One church. And when you find them, what are they doing? They are devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and prayer. They're in awe and wonder of what God is doing. They're all together in one accord. It's not about Jew. It's not about Gentile. It's not about male. It's not about female. They are all together seeking one thing, and that is Jesus Christ Messiah. What about today? Last time I checked, there are 45,000 denominations in the church. 45,000 denominations in the church. We're not one church anymore, folks. And then finally, number three, for the most part, we in America are not evangelizing. Because when you see the miracles that took place in the first century, it was because it was a church that was on mission. I saw a meme the other day on Facebook, and I thought this man, this, this sums it up so well. The modern day American church had two boats. One was a love boat. It was a, a, a cruise ship. 
And the other one was a battleship. Today's modern church is a cruise ship. We're just chilling and sit back and relaxing. You know what the current statistics say about the American church, about how much evangelism is actually taking place in American church? You ready for this? 2%. 2%. What we need to be is the battleship. What we need to be is all hands on deck. And the promise is, is that when we live in love and unity and we're following the will of God and we're carrying out the mission that Jesus started 2,000 years ago, you will begin to see manifestations of the Holy Spirit happen in the world around you. But not before. So that means you and I, we've got to get our act together. We've got to get our act together. There are outpourings. Now listen to me. Am I saying that you don't see miracles today? Absolutely not. I already told you a long time ago when we talked about disciple-making movements. And by the way, we're going to start hopefully talking about doing some disciple-making movements right here in Snyder next year. But right now, over in places in Asia, over in places in Africa, there are people, they're going back to the Bible. They're looking at Matthew 10. They're looking at Luke 10. They're putting down those denominational barriers. They don't care about the sign anymore that's out in front of the church. They're just saying, you know what? We just want you, Lord. We just want your empowerment. We want your presence. We want to carry out the mission that you've given us in your life. And we're willing to do whatever you want. And so what are these people doing? My goodness gracious. They're praying. They're fasting. They're repenting. They're letting go of their sins. They're, they're trying to live a holy, holy life. They're, they're breaking down the denominational barriers they're seeking love and unity and you know what they're seeing miracles I'm not after chasing miracles I am after chasing the presence of the Holy Spirit because I've lived my entire life in ministry trying to do this thing on my own I don't want to do that no more I want his power his presence and his direction I told you a long time ago that's exactly why I'm here I was telling the fellows last night over at the walk preparation, I said, that's exactly why I'm here. That's why a Nashville boy in January decided to move to this place right now because I was given direct inspiration from the Holy Spirit who said to come here. Why? Because he is planning an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in this place. And I believe with all of my heart that the walk community, the Mesquite country community, and the churches around here, they are starting to lay down the denominational barriers and come together in love and unity. And I promise you this, you mark my words. The more we do that, the more we're going to see manifestations of God, Holy Spirit break out in this town. I don't know about you, but I want that with my whole heart. So what are we going to do? Well, let's start. Well, actually, I forgot about this. Uh, Hold on, I'll come back to that in just a minute. Let's start here. If there's anything hindering your prayer life, then right here, I want you to use this opportunity in just a moment as we come up, as we pray for for you, as as we offer the invitation. If there's any of this going on in your life right now, repent of it. Now, I showed you this slide a minute ago. I got a gift I want to give you. Um, Our church has this cool texting thing, and I kind of wanted to play with it this week. But there's two books that I just absolutely recommend, and they're books on learning how to pray the promises of God. They're absolutely free. No, no copyright hindrances whatsoever. If you text the word promise to our church phone number, I'll send you those two books to your phone for free. Isn't that cool that I can do that? Two of you think so. That's good. All right. Text the word promise to the church phone number and you'll get those. So let's go ahead and offer our invitation. If you need prayer for anything this morning, elders, if you would go ahead and get up. If you need prayer for anything this morning, if there's anything up there that's convicting your heart that you know that you need to get rid of so that you have no hindrances in your life before the Father, come forward right now as we stand and sing.